0: This interview is brought to you by our friends at 78 Sports. As coaches, all we really want to do is coach. We don't want to waste time searching around with a bunch of different companies trying to order new equipment, get our fields ready, or make sure our facilities are fully stocked. That's just too big of a hassle and takes way too long. That's where 78 Sports comes in. Whether it's replacing L-screens, putting in new batting cages, or even designing a new indoor facility, 78 Sports has you covered. They are a full-service design, supply, and installation company, so you only need to make one call. As an exclusive offer for our podcast listeners, 78 Sports is offering special pricing on your order when you mention Ahead of the Curve. Give them a call today at 844-478-TURF to get your order started. You can also check them out on their website at www.78sports.com. That's S E V E N T Y. The number eight, sports.com. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach and you're looking to get better, then Stick and Ball is just for you. With updated videos from some of the best baseball and softball coaches in the country, it's a no-brainer. Check them out at stickinball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's episode, we have on Darren McMaines, who is a mental skills consultant for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Darren has spent 21 years in professional baseball. With Seven, being a professional baseball player in the San Francisco Giants organization, Then he spent five years coaching in the San Francisco Giants organization, with four of those years being a hitting coach and one managing in the rookie league. He then spent the next nine years as a mental skills coach, five with the Giants, two with the Mariners, and this is his second year with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He also spent one year as the director of mental conditioning at the University of Notre Dame. So on the show, we talk about how we can go about building mental skills on the field we define what the mental game is, what mental toughness is, and what competing means, and we go through some of his pillars on how we, as on-field coaches, can do a better job of teaching these skills. You're going to love this episode with Darren McMaines. Darren, welcome to the show.
1: Gellner, thanks, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Pumped to be uh, pumped to be chatting with you today.
0: Of course, of course, and I I want to give a shout out to Bobby Reed who in like a, a, a roundabout way put us in touch and it, it seems like that you know that when in the the world of, of baseball especially professional baseball there's always you know it, it's such a, a small uh, fraternity I guess and, and I wasn't in it as, as long as you were but it just seems like you know once you're in the field of baseball you have so many different connections in so many different ways and and so I wanted to, to thank him for that but man I, I, I don't know like are, is it even less than seven degrees of separation in baseball?
1: You know, what's funny is as you were talking about that, uh, I was thinking about that movie. Is, that Will, is Will Smith in that movie, if, if I remember right? Yes,
0: I, I think. Does I that think sound so. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be less than seven degrees, man. Um, I, again, I don't know what it is, but it feels like um, I feel like you almost know everybody within the game, um, within yeah. two to three degrees, it feels like.
0: Mm-hmm. No doubt. And, and then, uh, so anyway, so he turned me on to your podcast, which I, I love. You take mental game principles and break them down into biblical principles, which for me, those are two of the the biggest interests that i have and so i i'm gonna put a link down in the uh the show notes for for them to listen to that they're like 10 minutes or less come out with them once a week i usually listen to you know one a day or i have lately since i since i got onto it but i definitely wanted to to get into that but tell us a little bit about uh just your your journey because you played professionally and then you coached like an on-field coach professionally and and yeah. then you decided to get into the mental side of training. So tell us a little bit about that progression.
1: Yeah. So, uh, got drafted back in 2001. Um, and you mentioned Bobby Reed, right. Who connected us. And so him and I were college mm-hmm. teammates. And so, uh, but I got drafted out of the university of Arkansas, little rock played seven years professionally. Uh, ended up having five surgeries during my career, three on my shoulder, two on my wrists. Um, and you know, I mean, the journey through the minor leagues to get to the big leagues. I mean, you, you end up not playing because one of two things, you're either um, not good enough or you're hurt. Right. I mean, that, that's just kind of how it works. Um, and so uh, I, I happen to have both of those, right. Once I got hurt, I became not good enough. So I was a, a switch hitter. And then, you know, my last year um, tried to just make it as a right-handed hitter, you know, right-handed hitting second baseman um, with, with good bat to ball skills, good strike zone awareness. But little to no power, right. Um, below average speed. And so, uh, guys like me wear a dime a dozen ultimately. So at that point in my journey, I realized like, you know, my goal, I set out one goal, like playing the big leagues as long as I can. And when I realized, uh, had enough awareness that like, Hey, this is probably not going to work out. Um, started to look for what's next. And so, you know, I went to the giants and said, Hey, you know, I'm done playing. If I can't switch hit, like, um, I just don't see the value I can bring. And so, uh, I'm not going to play anymore. And, and they said, well, you know, we think you had a lot of value. We'd love for you to coach. And, you know, when they first said that, I thought, well, that sounds dumb. <laughs> you know, like I don't want to do that. Um, I was just more mad or whatever. And so I said, we'll give you three days to think about it. Uh, so went back, went back home. Uh, and when I say home, like literally across the street, right. Cause we we're just renting an apartment during spring training. This was the end of spring training, you know, sure. told my wife, I said, Hey, I just told them I'm done playing. And, we had a seven month old son at the time and she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I haven't thought that far in advance. I just know that I, I, I can't do that anymore. Right. It wasn't fun. I wasn't very good. It hurt to play all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I said, well, they, they said I could coach. And she said, well, maybe you should probably do that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> at least have a that's so I said, fair enough. Um, so anyway, so yeah, the next day I didn't take the three days, um, went back the next day, said, Hey, I, you know, I'm gonna, am going try coaching. And so, mm, uh, which was a, yeah. Really great experience. I mean, it was a really weird time, as you can imagine, like it was the end of spring training. So like they literally moved my uniform from like the player's locker room to the coach's locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, we can talk more about that later on just kind of like, for me, I always think it's interesting. Um, I think it's switching now with like the requirements to be a coach, but I always thought like, well, that's interesting. There's no training. There's no nothing. I just went from playing mm-hmm. to coaching. Like what, <laughs> like what gives me the, the right to per se to do that. But, uh um, sure. You know, uh, but I got really lucky to uh, be mentored by Tom Treblehorn, who uh, had been in the game at that point for 40 years, um, you know, managed the Cubs, managed the Brewers. He's a third base coach for the Orioles for about 10 years, I think. Um, and also Joe Maffetano, who just retired from baseball, who I think had 60 years of wow. professional experience. So those are like my two mentors um, that I was just extremely blessed to be to be under as I coached. And so I coached in the minor leagues for five years, uh, three in short season, uh, one in rookie ball. And then my last year, I actually managed the Arizona league. And and so what happened was my first three years in Salem, Oregon, short season A, was when I really started to, uh, just more or less become fascinated with just the mental side of the game. Right. Um, is one of those things where I realized like, everybody's showing up, like they're all pretty good, but how come this guy looks great in practice, but he can't do it in the game. Or how come this guy, you know, is not giving his best every day what's going on there. Or, you know, how come this person's so consistent. And so I just started to realize like, um, the separator at that point, uh, was the mental side. And and then even in my career, like I started to reflect on where I started to think about, like, that's kind of the edge that I lost, like after the surgeries and stuff, I started to lose that edge of like wanting the ball hit to you, like wanting to be the guy that's up in the, you know, at the plate in when, when it's crunch time. Right. I started to to shy away from those moments. just because I hurt and I wasn't confident in what I was doing. I was like, you know what, that's why, um, that's why my performance suffered later on. Right. Is because Uh, I let my physical limitations turn into psychological limitations. Mm. Right. And so, um, so, so when I, when I went through that, I started to realize like, man, like, if I'm going to be a great coach, like I really need to figure out this mindset stuff. Um, Dave Greshner, who's still the head athletic trainer for the San Francisco giants. One day I'm walking through the complex. I have like a psychology book in my hands and he's like, what are you doing? So I'm going to go back to school get my master's in, in psychology cause I didn't even know like a sports psychology thing existed. Right. Like I knew okay. I didn't want to be a uh, sports psychologist. Cause I'm like those, those, my experience was like, you go see them when you're jacked up. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wanted nothing to do with that. So I'm like, I just want to learn a little bit about psychology so I can just be a better coach, right. Coach mindset. And uh, he said, well, Hey, he said, we're looking for someone that, that like, we want to roll out this new program. We want to roll out this new department a mental skills department. And, and we think, well, shoot. I mean, if you're interested, you'd be the perfect guy. Like you've, you've played, you're coaching right now, you know, like you've, you've built some good relationships throughout the organization. Like we would love, you know, to, to pay for your school and go do that. So I was like, hmm. Oh shoot. Oh shoot. Okay. So that was pretty cool. So that there was cool. the Air- yeah. So there's the Arizona school of professional psychology. So what happened was we found a program there. Um, so I came back to Phoenix. And so that's why I coached the rookie ball the last two years. So I was a hitting coach one year and then managed uh, my last year. So I go to school in the morning, and then you know, uh, coach or manage at night, and so that was it. And that was 2012. And then since then, been you know, coaching the mental game ever since. So for the last ten years, that's that's what I've been up to, man. No,
0: I love that, and and I love you know hearing that transition because I think you know, and I think most athletes would say the same thing that they thought that, and I, I, I know, well, they thought that uh, you should only be in trouble or you should be laying on a couch uh, with these guys, right. and and it's. It's not like that at all. Well, I mean, I, it doesn't have to be like that at all. And right. I just finished Rick Ankiel's book and he talks about Harvey Dorfman and how big, I mean, obviously he never really got over uh, the unspeakable, but sure. he just talks about that transition. And it was even just more of just life skills and how to deal with, with failure and deal with setbacks and things like that. But I just, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting journey. And I think that the best people that are in your field are the ones who have experienced the things that you've experienced, whether it's, you know, baseball or just sports or, or failure in general. And so I love hearing that. And we also were talking off the mic earlier, uh, that I, I, I think the guy that did that for me, and it's, it's just been fairly recently, uh, but it was Trevor Moad. And you even said that, that Trevor had an impact on you as well. And I know he's got a book coming out pretty soon, which I'm really excited about. And, and, uh, you know, may he rest in peace, but Uh, Tell us a little bit about, you know, just some things, neutral mindset and and some stuff that you, that you took from him.
1: Yeah. So I ran into Trevor when, again, I was just trying to figure out how to do this job, right? There, there wasn't another, you know, I didn't have experience working with sports psychology professionals. I didn't have experience working with mental skills coaches. And so I really didn't know what quote unquote one was. And so um, Trevor was, was hosting like some sort of small get together slash conference in Phoenix at the time. And, uh, ran across it. So I thought I'll just go up there and hear this guy speak. I really had no idea who he was. And, and as I was <laughs> kind of heading up there, I started reading more about him. I'm like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. He's, he's kind of out in front of some stuff. He's did some stuff at IMG Academy, right? He's been with the university of Alabama at the time. And so I'm like, Oh, this, I actually might learn something. And when I got there, it blew my mind on like how to do it proactively one, but to do it in a way where it didn't feel like, um, you were broken, right? It felt very normal. It's kind of like going into the weight room. Like I'm going into the weight room to get strong. I'm not going in there because I'm, because I'm weak or I'm broken. I'm going in there to get strong and get better. Right. And he approached coaching mindset that way. Right. And so he made it, uh, he's super approachable. And then, uh, at that point though, this was like 2000, like I said, 2012 ish when, when he was doing this, he -hmm. hadn't really coined neutral thinking yet. Right. And so he wasn't talking about it then. and, And it's brilliant what he's done with it. Right. I mean, it's, it makes so much sense when he talks about, you know, there's there's positive thinking and then there's negative thinking, but then there's neutral sits right in the middle, you know, a lot like a car and how to remove emotions so you can make better decisions and just focus on what to do next, right? And that's what neutral thinking is all about, right? Sure. Past success doesn't guarantee future success. It's like past failure doesn't guarantee future success. It's the decision and the choices that you make in the moment. That's what's going to determine what happens next, right? And so Trevor okay. really brought that, brought that to life for me. And then uh, again, so our relationship started back then, and then um, it was just shoot with with Trevor. I, I would think for me, I'd probably reach out to him probably once every three to four months. You know, mm-hmm. like Trev, what do you got on this, man? Hey, here, here's where I'm going. Hey, Trev, I'm trying to build this program with the Giants. Like, what the heck? Like, what have you done with Alabama? You know, and so mm-hmm. and he was always gracious, always shared knowledge, always shared best practices, and uh, yeah, forever grateful for for him for for showing me how I feel like a really effective way to work with professional athletes, one, and then two, how to do it uh, at a really high level. Um, so I'm, I'm really appreciative for that.
0: No, really good. So, you know, one of the things that I think is, is so interesting too, is, you know, if, if we could look back and, and see how we were as coaches, you know, previously, and then you've <laughs> gotten, you know, you know, you've gotten the opportunity to, to go, uh, and do some different roles and so you went from playing to coaching and now with this mental conditioning and mental training. And so I want to go back I guess to your playing days and then we'll go back to your coaching days. If you could go sure. back to your coaching days, how would you how would you the current you Darren McMain's cur- yes. uh, coach the player you Darren McMain's?
1: Oh, wow, that's a great question. Um you know it's it's I'm going to let me say something to give me time to process that. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) You know, a little trick. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I say, where was I at when I was playing? You know, like, uh, like the things you start learning now, um, which is great. Like, and I love this. I tell people this all the time, you know, it's like, and and I think Muhammad Ali said it a while back, but, you know, I think he said something along the lines of, hey, if you're the same person at 40 that you were at 20, you've wasted 20 years of your life, right? So it's like, we should have these moments of like, gosh, I can't believe I wish I would have known that, right? You should have that, right? Because that means you're growing and you're learning. Um, I think one thing that really would have helped me um, if I was coaching myself would have been after the injuries have just, uh, get to a place of acceptance and be like, Hey, like stop trying to be the player that you were like, stop comparing mm-hmm. your current self to your former self. Like you are not That's that good. person. That doesn't mean you can't be a better version, but just, you can't be that version. Right. And so, uh, cause I, I just look back and like, I didn't accept it. And then the way I tried to accept it was like, I'll just stop switch hitting why? Because like heard a little bit, and I wasn't as was good versus like, Hey, what, like, what's a different approach? Like maybe I, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I, start working the opposite side of the field more or, or whatever that might be. Right. But, um, I was just trying to chase that old version of myself instead of accepting like the new reality that, Hey, I might have to spend more time pregame prep hey i might need to spend a little bit more time in recovery right i might need to spend more time doing shoulder exercises and making sure like you don't like it but guess what that's part of it um versus well i used to be able to do this i'm going like, to keep doing it so um uh that would have been the most helpful thing for me um definitely like like in my career for sure
0: do do you think that part of that getting over injury thing? Well, I, I know a lot of it is psychological and you, you don't want to in, injure yourself again. But do you think part right. of it is we are pumping up our past selves so much that we could never really live up to that anyways?
1: I think so. Yeah, right. It's it's the revisionist history, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, sure. um, and, and we're all guilty of it, but I definitely think like come back from an injury, um, e- even when you make a mistake, now you have something that's like, I could have made that throw right Mm -hmm. or you know little stuff like that but it's like that's not even true it's like just get you made a bad throw, move on. Right. Cause that's mm-hmm. how I would have thought before the injury, like you made a bad throw, who cares? So what, like next play hit to me, let's go, we'll turn two and let's move on. Um, versus now it's like, ah, you know, and then you're upset with the fact that you made an error and then you're upset the fact that you got hurt. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have time to think like, gosh, I hate this shoulder thing. And now that, and then they hit it to you and now you're not ready. You're on your heels. So you bobble it. Now you can't turn two. Right. And then the next mm-hmm. guy gets a double yeah. all because I'm thinking about, right. And so you can kind of see how it all unfolds. And so, sure. um, yeah, I definitely think that that psychological piece of trying to chase your old self doesn't um, doesn't help and that, that tends to be a, a big a big barrier for a lot of people that, that we got to work through. No doubt.
0: Well I, I, I'm gonna flip the question a little bit with you because I, you know I think like you mentioned, a lot of our listeners or maybe not even listeners listeners to the show, but just a lot of coaches in general think that, you know, mental skills or uh, players, especially, or the, the psychology behind it, they think it that it's a, a separate thing. So sure. I would love to hear, like if you got offered your dream job on field coaching tomorrow, what are some of the different things that you would take within what you're doing now, you know, yeah. off to the, I don't want to say off to the side, but in a different department and put it into the on field coaching, coaching role, because a lot of our coaches that are listening, or a lot of the, our listeners who are listening, the, we may have a lot of psychologists listening because you're on, but a uh, like a big group of the show is on-field coaches. And so, how can we best support them? How can we give them some different things to use? And and then what you know, what would you take back to your your past self as a coach and and go, yeah. man, I really wish that I had done with this with the players that I had had.
1: Yeah. So I, I think everything starts with first. It's like clarity, right? Clarity of definition. Like, like what, what are we doing? And so, you know, so, so I think first it's like, as a coach, like what, what are mental skills? Like if you had to define it, right. I would, and and I'll give you my definition, what I work from, right. I say mental skills is simply this, the ability to focus on the right thing at the right time. Right. It's that simple. Like, do you have the ability to focus on the right thing at the right time? And we call it a skill, meaning a skill is only a skill if it shows up under pressure. Right. And so we can say like, Hey, like, like what kind of skill do you have? Um, whether it's fielding a ground ball, right? Like if you can field a ground ball in practice, but you struggle in the game and the seventh inning with a couple runners on, then you haven't developed that skill yet, right? Because it can't show up under pressure yet. So that's first and foremost. i define like, what are mental skills? Second thing is what is the mental game? Mm-hmm. You can talk about like how I define the mental game. I say this, the mental game, it takes place the 15 seconds between every pitch. Like when we're talking mental game, like how well do you manage the space between pitches? That's all, that's like, when I talk about, it, that's as simple as I make it. And then once we define like, hey, this is mental skills, this is mental game. Next is like, what does a good mental game look like? So let's just start there. Let's just start breaking it down. So for me, a good mental game looks like this. Two, two things, awareness and readiness. So awareness means this. You know your strengths and weaknesses. You know your opponent's strengths, weaknesses, and tendencies. You know your role on the team. And you know what the situation of the game calls on you to do. That's awareness, right? You know yourself, you know your opponent, you know the role you have on the team, and you know what the situation in the game calls you to do. Readiness means you have a consistent process. This is like those 15 seconds we talked about between every pitch. Readiness means you have a consistent process that allows you to fully commit to an external target, right? Doesn't matter. Good call, bad call, up 10, down 10. Doesn't matter. I look at you and you prepare the same way between every pitch, 120 pitches a night, whatever it might Mm -hmm. be. So that's how I can start to break down awareness and readiness. Right. So when we talk about mental game and I start like breaking stuff down, I'm like, I can watch you and, and right. Maybe um, the scoreboard affects the way you play, or maybe you don't quite understand the role you have on the team, what what we need you to do in this, in this situation. Maybe you're not paying, maybe you're not pregame prep. Right. You know, and you don't know what this, or maybe you're not paying attention. Right. And you don't see that every time this guy gets O2, he buries a slider and he comes back with an elevated fastball. Like, what are you doing? Right. That to me, it says you're, you don't have a good mental game because your awareness is bad because you're not paying attention. Right. So I just start to like, if I can define all these things now that helps me coach a lot better. See, I didn't have these definitions when I was coaching. I just kind of was like, Oh, I, I think, you know, like, Hey, hit and run, get ball on the ground. Right. You know, or whatever, you know, you're just kind of going through the, the motions are kind of what you've been taught. So I think when you first define it, then you can start to tease out practice plans to go, Hey, this is going to get at this Hey, This, we're going to really focus on awareness today or readiness. Right. I think about batting practice. We did this when I was with the Mariners, like we would have a, we would have a process round where it's like, mm-hmm. and it takes a lot longer, but it's like, you get three pitches in your round and you had to work your in-between pitch, what we called your funnel. You like work your funnel, sure. which is your routine between every pitch. So it's like, you throw the pitch, you'd either swing or not swing. And if you not, like, if you didn't swing, that's still a pitch. Right. Cause We want to take pitches that we can't do damage on. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a, you won that pitch if you took it. Right. So you take it or you swing. Doesn't matter. Step out through your routine. BP pitcher, he's sitting there waiting They step back in to go through it. Cause you can't expect someone to do it in the game if you never practice it. Right. But at the same time, you only have so much time. So you can't do every round is this, this routine, this funnel round that takes forever and you don't get in the same amount of swings. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, but, but creating space where guys practice that, uh, practice their mental game, right. Like how well they manage the process, how well they manage that space, those 15 seconds between every pitch. Um, and and then, and then for me, the the last kind of couple things that, that I've done recently that I would make sure my, my coach self would know is like, Define mental toughness, right? Because everybody says we want to be mentally, mentally tough. Well, it's like, what's that mean for you, coach? Sure. Like, what does mental toughness mean for you? And so for me, how, how I've defined it, it doesn't make it right, but as I've defined it, it's the discipline to focus on your process when your career depends on your results. That's what a mentally tough person does mean. Like it doesn't like, look, we know your results matter. 100% your results matter, right? But your process is helpful. Right, there's a difference between what's helpful and what matters, right? And sometimes we think just because this matters, it gets all my focus, right? But focusing on the results doesn't give me better results. Focusing on my process that's helpful, and that gives me better results. And so yep, I think mental good. toughness, you know, is do you have the discipline to focus on that process when your career depends on your results? Um, and then when you have defined that, now you it just gives you a better idea of like, okay, how do I want to design a practice um, to try to build that mental toughness, right? Um, and then the last is. And I tell coaches all the time, it's like, you got to define what it means to compete, right? Because um, it's one of those terms that I think we all know what it means. But since we all know what it means, do we really know what it means, right? Because it's yeah, kind of hard exactly. to define. And it's like, hey, we want you to compete. You got to compete. Well, it's like, what does that mean? And so, again, this is, this is how I've defined it. And with the programs and coaches I've worked with doesn't make it right. This is how I've defined it is, is simply to be fully committed to a plan to help our team win the game based on the score, the situation, my strengths and weaknesses, and my opponent's tendencies. Right. So if if I don't see full commitment to a plan to help us win, you're not competing. Right. Or, or if you're not doing it based on the score situation the game, guess what? You're not competing. If you're not staying within your strengths and, and your weaknesses. Right. If you're not competing from that place, you're not competing. Or if you're not paying attention to what the opponent's trying to do to you today, then you're not competing. Right. And so by being able to define that. So when I can say, like, hey, you're not competing today. It's not just leaving the kids sitting there going, what does that mean? Right. I can say right. you're not competing today because this is what I saw. And they go, all right, I can work on that. So, um, anyway, so I think creating clarity, defining those things that are sometimes tough to define starting there. And then you can build out from there, what you want to do to attack those things.
0: No, I love that. And, you know, uh, I don't know that a lot of kids that hear those phrases yeah. have any idea what they mean. And I, th- I think with, especially with compete, that just means they look like they're trying harder, maybe. Right. <laughs> so right. it's like, I, I, right. I don't know. Right. Like I, like, I used to tell them compete all the time and uh, compete looks different for different people too. So that's really good. Is that where you would start? So if you were, if, if you were me and I was going to try and implement a program with high school kids or amateur kids tomorrow, just defining and with clarity, what those things mean.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like clarify your cliches, right? Like, I Mm. mean, coaches, we all have cliches. And so I'm like, but you know, they might mean something to you, but that doesn't mean they mean, same thing to them. Like I'll give me an example. I won't tell you what, what specific coach this was, but this was when, um, I was working at, uh, you uni- know, I guess I came to university. I was working at a, a college <laughs> okay. basketball program. We'll stay there. Um, sure. and, and it was interesting because sitting in there with all the coaches and the, the head coach was talking about, we need to compete, right. With a greater sense of urgency. I do. I just don't see urgency around. We need greater sense of urgency. And, uh, and, and the assistant coaches were like, Agree. Everybody's kind of in agreement. Yeah, more just more urgency. I said, "Hey, before we like continue on." And by the way, I was intimidated to be sitting in there because this is like some high level coaches. And so I'm like, "Before we c- can can carry on here, can we define what it means to just compete with a greater sense of urgency? Like, like what do you mean when you say sense of urgency?" And like, you know, the head coaches are like, "You know, just get after it." And I'm like, "Yeah, no, I-, I get it, but I like specifically, what are we talking about, right?" And so anyway, we we have this, and it's a 20 minute conversation going around the room on what does it mean to compete with a greater sense of urgency. And what we finally settled on with this basketball team was take charges and get on the floor after loose balls. Like that's ultimately what these coaches wanted to see. And so by clarifying this cliche of competing with a greater sense of urgency, now, now the team was not confused when it's like, we need to compete with urgency, right? When the coach is screaming at them, what, what, what are they saying? Really? Hey, we need to take charges and get on the floor after loose balls. Like that's what it means to to this coach and his staff. Right. And so when, when they did that, guess what? They started taking more charges. They started getting on the floor after loose balls. Right. And so, I mean, Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it seems so simple, but like that was a 20 minute exercise that we devoted to like something they all knew that they wanted, but they just weren't quite sure what it looked like until we just forced it out of one another. And then we settled on it. And then the team played better, you know?
0: No, I love that. And, you know, I read a book, uh, a couple of weeks ago and he talked about attaching, you know, we all have values and he says, you know, attaching a, uh, just a, an action to the values that we want. And so one of the things that he mentioned was mm-hmm. toughness for them was always having good body language. And like, like what, is, and showing what love that it. looked like, but you know, if, if you can do that in, in really tough times, but just what we, what we, you know, what we promote and what we, what we try and measure and what we try and and uh, just continue to improve on every single day with clarity that kids are going to do and yeah you know we just we have to be really really good at at choosing the right things which I think a lot of coaches have the same things but also attaching hey what does that look like to them because I think for you know for a lot of us we take for granted you know we we as coaches are are echo chambers uh, too often and then just not not remembering that hey these are kids that are on TikTok and Instagram and they're not, they don't know exactly what you mean when you say, you know, compete with urgency. They're probably going, okay, thank Yes. I'll I'll do that. And then they have no idea what it is. I mean, I'm thinking of of the kid that's sitting in the back of the room going, I'm like the, the, the seventh guy that's, that's coming on the floor. I have no idea what that means, but I don't want to say something
1: because then I don't want to even get further down the depth chart. Sure. Exactly. And and you brought up a great point, right? You talked about measuring it right? There's, there's this leadership principle, right? What you, what you measure, you can manage and what you manage, you can improve, right? What you measure, you can manage what you manage, you can improve. And so by simply like defining in this case, we talked about sense of urgency being taking charges and, and getting on the floor for loose balls. What they do is they started measuring those every opportunity to take the charge when they did and or did not, right? Or they got a blocking call or whatever, because they didn't get their feet set. Or every time there was a loose ball and, and nobody got like, they started measuring it. And lo and behold, like they got better at it. Right. Cause it, it, it's that principle of, so whatever, like however you can measure the uh, things that are most important to your program, like you got to mm-hmm. find a way to do it. And um, because then it's top of mind. Right. And then it starts right. to become a habit and then once a habit, right, it just becomes the way you operate. It becomes the character of your club, the identity of your club. And then other and then the other players begin to be like, hey, when when you're building a program and new new freshmen are coming in or whatever, they just start to see like, hey, this is how we do things here. Right. And that's the Mm -hmm. definition of a great culture. But it doesn't happen on accident. Right. It's intentionality. um, And and you got to measure those things that, that are important to you.
0: Well, I even, you know, once you attach that the importance to it and you're and you call it out every time you see it then yeah. the players are going to want to do it more because they're like, I, you know, I I want to like get yeah. love whenever That's I take a charge and I'm falling on whatever it is. And I'm thinking sure. of like, Hey, toughness for us. Hey, we don't move in the box unless it's at our head or our knees or whatever, but it's sure. like, Hey, I, and you know, we make that important. We measure it, whatever we do. But I think love just it. attaching an action to it is, is, is vital for sure. But uh, with, I mean, it's, so with, with the pillars that, that people try and promote with the mental game. So you've got, yeah. I think for me, and one of my biggest words this year is just being able to stay present and in, in the present moment. And I know we talk yeah. about that all the time It's it's something that's really hard to do. Uh, but yeah. you've talked about uh, several different things, but uh, you talked about the funnel, um, which I love that. I think Andy McKay talks about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys work together as well? We
1: did in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, we, and we,
0: Andy's the man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We built out the the funnel in our peak performance manual and yeah, and that, the funnel round was, yeah. Andy would implement it right as the director of player development at the time. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So he's the one that implemented it and made it happen. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but it definitely came from a, uh, what I call a thought shower, um, which is the opposite of a, a brainstorming session. Long story there. But anyway, so we had a, a thought shower around it one night and then we kind of went around and, and then it was him to implement and the coaches executed it. And so it was cool.
0: Oh, that is cool. So with, especially, you know, talking about uh, and having most of our, our listeners that are on field coaches, are there any things that are like, okay, we've got four years of this and I know you've built out several different programs and you yeah. told us where you would start by the time that they, you know, we would hope that they would get that by the time that they would leave. But are there like, you know, a couple or three to five of just different things of, hey, if if we want these kids to have success in life and on the field, they need to do these things that we've talked about. But I would also add on to X, Y, Z once we start advancing and getting better at, at, you know, the the previous things that we had talked about.
1: Yeah, you know, I think. um, Well, first and foremost, like, it's so simple, but I think because it's so simple, we we forget about it is how to set goals, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like how to effectively sure. process goals, because I mean, that drives our focus, right? A, a plan or a goal gives structure to our attitude and drives our focus. That's what it mm-hmm. does. Right. And so mm-hmm. if we don't take the time to do that and teach, teach young players, like how to set a goal that's within their direct control, right. Then we're just setting them up for frustration, anxiety you know, everything else. Right. And so I think, uh, goal setting right now, you got to have a, a, fun, creative way to do it and don't call it goal setting. Like I wouldn't call it that, uh, <laughs> you know, sure. uh, uh, like what I've shifted. I'll just say, shoot, I'll tell you what I, I shifted to back in, uh, I don't know, maybe 16 or 17. Um, and this was my time with the Mariners is, is like, like, how can we teach these guys how to appropriately plan? Right. And set goals. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if we call it goal setting, they go, do it. And of course we all know the research behind smart goal setting. Mm. Um, and then there's also like a whoop goal setting, right. Which is like identifying the obstacle, you know, and, and determining a plan, right. Mm. Determining a plan of how you're going to overcome it. And, and then there's sure. this new research around it. It's like, Hey, like you're more likely to accomplish the goal. If you can identify the barrier on the front end and then create a plan to overcome that barrier. Right. So we, we kind of, when I say we, is like, Myself and Jimmy Van Oster and David Franco, we kind of put this this new acronym together that we called it Smart Ass Goal Setting, right? And so everybody wants sure. to be a part of Smart Ass Goal Setting, and so it's just, it's essential smart, right? But then the as is just as, and I know what you're thinking, I know what you thought I said, mm-hmm. but it's as, which just stands for adversity steps, right? So what's the adversity, and what are the steps you're doing to overcome it, right? And so we just found a lot more guys were into. And it's it's crazy, but it's how you frame it, right? Because we're all mm. we're all marketers, we're all salesmen, right? Whether you're I mean, if you're a coach, you're in sales. And so anyway, you're you're, you're trying to sell the success principle to them, right? And so they're more willing to buy a smart ass goal 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 setting principle than they are a smart goal setting principle, right? Now, again, these are for right. guys age age 18 to 24 males, right? Who um, egos are are generally uh big. Um, so that that resonated with them, right? But anyway, so I'd start with like one, how to appropriately set goals, um, that, that they can control Two, I like to walk. Um, I think it's important to help people understand kind of, you know, where their actions come from. Right. And so, uh, whether we fully get this or not, I like to share with people cause I think it helps to start kind of like, um, help people understand why they do what they do. And, and I'll okay. just walk you through it. I'll give you the high level, um, the quick version. And so it's like, okay, We'll we'll just deconstruct it, right? So let's just start with actions. Like, why did I do that thing? Well, you did that thing because you felt like it, right? I'll just tell you. So our emotions influence our actions, right? Well, where do my emotions come from? Why was I feeling that thing? Well, because you thought that thing, right? So our thoughts determine our emotions and our emotions influence our actions. So the next question is like, well, why was I thinking that? Like, Why did I think that certain thing? Well, you thought that because of your perspective, right? How you see the world determines how you think about it. How you think about it determines how you feel and how you feel influences ultimately what you do. And then the last question is, well, then why do I see the world that way? Like, why is my perspective like that? Well, that's our identity, right? So how I see myself determines how I see the world, right? It's been said that we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are, right? We all see it a little differently. And so it's like my identity determines my perspective, right? My perspective determines my thoughts. My thoughts determine my emotions and my emotions influence my actions. So when you think about mental skills, you think about working with someone in the in the performance psychology field, like you're working on emotional management strategies, right? You're working on, on improving your, your thoughts, right? Whether it's self-talk or whatever it might be, right? Affirmations, or you're working with maybe someone in cognitive behavioral therapy around perspective. How do I change, reframe the way I see a situation, right? Um, And so you work on all these little skill sets along this, this little acronym or along this path. Why? So you can have the best actions, right? So I, I like to share that with people because it, um, I think it helps them understand like why they do what they do. And so, sure. but, but, but I, the key is, and I tell people this all the time, is like identity determines perspective, per, perspective determines thoughts, thoughts, determine emotions, emotions, influence actions, right? Emotions don't determine actions. They influence actions. Like you can always act different than how you feel. Right. And that begins to be become empowering for someone to understand that. Right. In fact, I mean, that's how I would define a pro, right? A pro shows up every day, regardless of how they feel regardless of the travel, regardless mm-hmm. of the score, right? I mean, that's a pro, act different than how you feel. And, and that's why you have a routine, right? That's why we teach routines and we teach those types of things because you're not gonna feel good all the time. So it's how good yeah. can you be when you don't feel great, right? So that's why we teach all these strategies. But um, so I, I think it's always important to kind of understand that process. So you And, and why, I, why I say you should share that with people is because that's when they start to buy into mental skills in my experience is because they realize like, Oh, now I know why we're working on this deep breathing routine or whatever, because this is going to help me. Like my identity could be all out of whack. My perspective could be all out of whack. My thoughts could be all over the place. But if I can slow myself down and center myself with a deep breath, I can still have a consistent action, hopefully, right? And and allow my body to do what I've trained it to do, right? So you develop those. And then, you know, it kind of goes back to affirmations and self talk, you know, and and then you just work kind of backwards from that. But that's how I would share that with with some, um, with some athletes, because again, it just, it's kind of like learning to field a ground ball, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. once you break down the steps on what it takes to field a ground ball, they're more likely to buy into the agility training. They're more likely to buy into the stuff you ask them to do, because they can see how it's going to help them be a more consistent infielder. Right. But not until you break it down. Um, and if it stays too ethereal, people will never buy into it. Right. And I'm just like,
0: I've got two different types of players that i'm thinking of right now i've got player a who is one that's that's i'll just say let's say he's a turd like he's not bad enough to get rid of but you're like man you are always (laughs) in trouble and i'm just thinking okay so running is not the solution to this kid you know because but Digging in a little bit deeper and and it's a kid that, you know, it's hopefully has enough talent that you you think can be successful. That's why you keep them around all of those different things. And then I've got the other kid who's, who's the perfectionist kid who, who has really a lot of trouble dealing with failure. And both of those guys are on the, on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, but both of those are letting their emotions dictate their actions and having this conversation, even, though so you've got one who needs to change their behavior because they act bad, but you've also got the other one who's letting his emotions make him play bad. And so I don't, I don't know. Those were just two things that came up that I was like, Oh, they, this would make sense. Not just for the trouble kids.
1: Yeah. Right. I, I mean, it's for, it's for everyone, right? Like, um, because we're all, we're all kind of wired this way. Right. I mean, this is mm-hmm. how, it, but I think that's what great coaches do. Great coaches, through conversation and building relationships. That's why it's so important for coaches to build relationships with their players, because mm-hmm. then you start to understand that identity piece. Right. And so like what's in the identity, right. It's like, there's three things that go into someone's identity. It's, it's their beliefs. Those are those deep seated, deep rooted things you generally get in your first eight years of life. Right. This mm-hmm. is the kind of stuff you don't talk about over family dinners sometimes, right. Over the holidays, sure, yeah. you know, people hold on to them really tight. And then there's values, right? So values are those things that you kind of decide that are important to you, right? You become a teenager, high school, college. You're like, like hey, you know what? I value hard work. I value integrity, like those types mm-hmm. of things. And then that last, the last thing that I believe goes into identity is self-image. And self-image just is, is really, this is the one that gets on a slippery slope. It's kind of how you see yourself and your ability to perform a certain task, right? So let me give you a, a quick example. If like, like if something in my house breaks down, well, will just say I, I get a leaky Faucet. Right. And that, like has nothing to do with beliefs, nothing to do with values. They don't change. But the self-image I have of myself as a handyman is awful. <laughs> right. I'm sure. like, oh uh-huh. shoot. With right. You. Like I got mold, black mold, like it's my foundation, right? I'm like start freaking out. And guess what? So my perspective of this situation, because I see myself as someone that can't handle that guess what? My perspective, of this situation is like, my house is going to fall down. Like, I don't, I like it. And I guess what? My thoughts are going everywhere. Who do I need to call? Like, how do I need to get my kids out of the house? Right. It's like ridiculous. And my emotions is like, I get really tense. Right. And then my actions are like, I'm not fun to be around until I call someone who can come fix this leak in my house. Right. And so if you get to know me, Gellner, and you realize like, man, Darren, like seriously sucks at like taking stuff, taking care of his house, you know, mm-hmm. like you're going to know when a leak comes up, it's like, Hey, and Hey man, I got this. Don't worry. Like, Hey, just call somebody. You're going to be good. Or mm-hmm. you, on the front end, you're like, Hey man, here's a card. I, kn- I know you don't do well around that, but here's a card. Here's a strategy for you to just be able to manage that situation a little bit better. Cause we know when that sure. happens, you're not fun to be around. So again, silly example, but it's the, it's the same with, with the athletes that we coach, right? That's the importance mm-hmm. of getting to know them. So you kind of know what, so, so you know what helps them tick. Right. And then you can help them build strategies for themselves, empower them, right. Or, or know what the right thing to say and do to get them to do, um, you know, what they've been created to do or what they've trained to do
0: for sure. So, you know, I guess the next piece is how do we, how do we get to that point? Like how, like you, you talk about building relationships, building these different connections. And I think what you do a great job of is you, you are very clear on your definitions of things but I can also tell that you are great at asking questions that will lead them to finding the answer on their own. And so I, sure. you know, I, however you want to take, you know, take that and run with it. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, so how do we, how do we improve on that? Or how do we, how do we help them with that rather than, because I'm thinking, you know, we have a mental game session or a school session. We go into sure. this place, this classroom, and we watch 30 minutes of, ryan kane or you know whoever it is right and then you you go and you try and apply it but how do we do a better job of, of applying what you're talking about on a daily basis uh with them uh, and i know carving out time individually is is a big one but just any other things that you've come across that have really helped you to build those connections with players like that
1: yeah man that's a shoot that's a great question. Um,
0: yeah. And it's, it's a really like, it's a very non-specific, <laughs> yeah. but right. also like, how do we, how, I don't know, just, just de- thinking of different ways that, that we, cause again, you, you mentioned it very early on the podcast. It's like, Hey, I, I'm not going to come up to you if I don't have a good relationship with you and be like, Hey, so tell me a little bit about your self image, you know? And, and so I, it, it just, it's yeah. one of those things is yeah. like, how do we lead, how do we lead into having conversations yeah. that are a little bit deeper than that?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, um, well, obviously one is being present, right? I mean, that's first and foremost is like consistency of presence. Um, it's so like when you're at practice, be at practice, right. When you're at the game, be at the game. Um, that's first and foremost, cause like when you're there consistently, right. That's going to obviously build some trash trust. Um, I think about when guys make mistakes, right. That's generally when, um, they're trying to decide if they can trust you. Right. More or less. Okay. Right. It's like, is this guy, you know, is his body language? Like he talks about process all the time. Right. <laughs> and all, he, t- and he talks about, Hey, the main thing is like, just make sure you're ready. I don't care about the result. Just make sure you're ready. And I'm ready and I make an error, but then I look over in the dugout right away and he's kicking rocks. Mm. Right. That's going to cut it trust. Right. Because that's not what you've been saying the whole time. And so I think really, um, like body language is really tough to filter, right? When you think about all the research around verbal and nonverbal communication, right? It's like people always remember nonverbal a lot more than, than verbal, right? And so um, really being mindful of your body language as a coach, right, on when players make mistakes. And then one of the best coaching cues I've ever heard, um, and it's from Joey Maffetano, he would say this all the time, is when you make a mistake and you come off the field, right? Now, Joey, I mean, um, you know, Joe didn't work in baseball anymore, but kind of, you know, he was the third base coach for the Dodgers when Gibson hit the Homer. Right. So it's yeah. like, he would tell that story and it makes the hair on the, on the back of your neck stand up when he, when he talks about all the prep that went into that. But, <laughs> um, um, uh, but the one, the best coaching cue i ever heard always comes from him. And, and when you come off the field, you'd make an error, you strike out, whatever it was, he'd say, Hey, you put his arm around you first. always put him around you. You know, he pull you a little tight he he say, Hey, if you could do that again, what would you do differently? Yeah, that's good. So when it was a question, right? Cause he wanted to see where you were at, right? He just wanted, and it, what it did was it, it took you out of like feeling sorry for yourself and put you in problem solving mode. Cause guess what, whatever it is is over, right? I mean, you can't go back, can't change it. The only thing that matters is what's next. And so uh, there's just so much brilliance in that little question because it, it puts you in problem solving mode. And then as a coach, you're learning what you need to teach. Like you don't know what you need to teach until you ask, right? Like you come at me and say, you got to be ready. It's like well, I already know that. Like I, you know, I was ready. That wasn't the issue, you know. And it's like um, I didn't read the first big hop. That's why I didn't come get it, you know. And so if I said, like, let's say I made an error because I didn't read the first big hop, I stayed back, and then I got ate up a little bit on a ground ball. And I say that to him. I say, hey, I didn't, I didn't see that. And he's gonna be like, boom. And he's like, you got it. And he, would, that's it. He knew, right? Mm-hmm. He, he knows that I know. And so I think you can start to learn a lot about your player and kind of where they're at just by asking that question when you see something that doesn't look right taking the time to ask the question just to see where they're at before you go into telling what you think they need to know right now. Does that take more time? Absolutely. Can can you do that with all 30 or however many guys are on team? Probably not. That's why you have assistant coaches though. Right. And that's why like you got to be an intentional coach and pick up on those things. So I think finding those moments when, when there's mistakes that happen in the game or, or in practice, whatever, and it's in those moments of, of, of small moments of micro failures, whatever you want to call them, where when they look at you, coach, and they're trying to say, can I trust this person or not? Being able to respond with integrity on what you've always said in your body language mm-hmm. and then following up with the question on trying to figure out where they're at. Because by, by, the more you ask, the more they'll tell you. And if you're a good listener, the more you'll learn about them. And they're, not, and they're always non-threatening questions, right? I mean, you can sure. learn about um, that. Um, and then why is always a great question, right? It's like um, I, I think it's—I'm not sure where I read this, but it's like the seven levels of why, right? Now you would never do this in the middle of a game; it would be annoying. <laughs> it would be annoying, sure. right? It's Non-starter. like yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, in casual conversation, you know, it's like, hey, why did you throw that pitch there? Well, I thought that would be the best pitch. Why did you think that was the best pitch? Uh, I don't know because I was feeling like I really. good command my fastball day why why did you feel like you had good command your fastball today? well because um i don't know every time i wanted to throw it i could throw a first tag well and then all of a sudden maybe that doesn't measure up you're like well hold on like you've walked four guys today right and so now all of a sudden like you might gain a little bit just by asking the question why three times you're starting to understand maybe they don't have a high level of self-awareness right and so now like how do i coach that into this person maybe they're not at a place where they have the bandwidth to pay that close attention to how they're doing. So I maybe need to call every pitch for this guy and he's not allowed Mm to shake right. Or whatever. But just like, 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 and by just asking questions, um, is probably the best, like, you know, observe those micro failures, be consistent and then ask a lot of questions. I don't know if that gives you like something tangible to do, you know? Um, but that, that is how I, I approach it. And I've, um, I, it's something I always can get better at, but I've seen the best coaches. I've been around some best coaches. may all do a really good job of that.
0: Yeah. You know, to, just to add to that point, I, I think it's, you know, being the same person all the time. I, I mean, we, yeah. we'll go up and down with emotions just like the players will at times, but just having that consistency and not showing up in a bad mood one day and then being like buddy, buddy the next day, I, I think that that's a big one. And, and you see that yeah. from time to time. And you, you also, I, I think, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you mentioned the pitcher who was really struggling and he looked in the dugout and saw one of the managers.
1: <laughs> can, yeah. can
0: you please, could you please like that would fit perfectly right here?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is unbelievable, man. Like, yeah. So early on in my role or, or me, the whole time, you're in the dugout and you're kind of observing behaviors, mostly for me during the game. It's like, I'm I'm paying attention to the pitcher. Like, is he controlling the pace of the game? Like how consistent is his, you know, in-between pitch process, right? I'm just paying attention to that. And and this kid that was starting tonight, we already knew going into, like, he hadn't had a couple good outings in a row. And they were thinking that we had a young prospect that was coming up. And there was this thought that they might move this guy to the bullpen. And so, and he felt it. He knew it. He really needed a good outing. And of course, you know, we're all pulling for him. Like, like every coach wants every player to succeed. I know even as a player, sometimes I thought that wasn't the case, but I've never met a coach that hasn't wanted the player to succeed. So anyway, we're all like rooting for this guy. And um, anyway, he, he gets to a situation where he starts throwing some balls. Right. And he ends up walking a guy like a two out walk, whatever. And he just kind of like glances over into the dugout. Cause like his pitches weren't very close on, on this particular bat. And the coaches down there, like, you know, like, Oh, like, you know, kind of rubbing his face or whatever. And I'm looking, I was like, geez, that's not the best body language. Like in my head, right. I'm just thinking like, that's not the best body language that the kid probably needs to see right now. Of course. So the, and you, like, right away, you could see like the kid kind of tighten up. Cause he's like, shoot, you know, you're going to see him on the mound. He tightens it up. Well, we already know what's going to happen. Right. The more tense he gets, the less precise his pitches become. Right. So now he's walking more guy with each ball. Like he's walking, he looks over in the dugout again. Now the man, I looked down at the dugout the managers, like got his hands on his knees. Mm-hmm. And he's like looking down just like, this is unbelievable. Right. So I'm now looking like, should I go see something? To the manager was like, well, it's really not my place. This is his game. Right. He's the manager, like, let him go. But I'm like, this is terrible. Like it was the worst body language i have ever seen. And then, uh, you know, Couple hits later. I mean, it's like a two out blow up, right? His hat's off now. He's really going through his hair doing this whole thing. Finally, they've had to pull the kid. He's done. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Now I got to confront the manager at the end of the game to say like, hey, what the heck's going on? Make a long story short, I go into the manager's office, you know, and, and he gets done with the game report. And I just said, hey, uh, I noticed early on the game when, you know, so-and-so got in a little bit of trouble. Um, this kind of looked at your body language. It great. He's just like, you know, kind of looked at me like, who is was this guy telling me, you know, whatever, at least that's what I thought he was looking at me for. And I'm like, okay. You know, and I said, you kind of tell me what's going on. What, what were your thoughts? I thought you could have better body language there to help him get through that. And he just said, listen, man, I had some bad food before the game and I was just trying not to crap my pants. <laughs> like, and so oh, man, man. it hit me in that moment. Like, Oh my gosh. Like, like, and I still laugh. Cause I think about days like, but it's just a, it's a perfect story that highlights how our body language, right. As, as coaches and as leaders, how our body language impacts the performance of our players. Like it just does. And, you know, fortunately it's like, and and we laughed about, but then we felt kind of bad because now we had to write the report that the kid, you know, the kid, Mm -hmm. you know, gave up the house and, and you know the front office—they don't care if the manager was trying not to poop his pants or not. Like they didn't care, right? They just know the kid didn't pitch really well. Um, but you know, the manager had to go tell the guy next day, say, "Hey, man, I thought your stuff was great the first couple innings. I just, you know." And so he had to say, "Hey, I was just trying not to, you know, ruin my sliders. Um, you know, it had nothing to do with your pitching, and had anything to do with, with the spread and the clubby. We'll talk to him later. You know, whatever." So, um, yeah, but uh, that was to me like it was one of those things. is like where real life is 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 almost like. Uh, uh, unbelievable and funnier than a movie, right? It's one of those things that oh, you just watch so unfold the whole time. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, that was in the Cow League. It was crazy, man.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so good. Well, I've yeah. got, I've got one question, and then we'll, we'll hop into the, the quick hitters. Uh, but oh, I, sure. I don't know. I don't know if you'll, if you'll have a, a great answer to this one. But this is always something that I'm, that I'm curious about because you have a different relationship than on-field coaches. And yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know you know i'm sure they reveal to you different things than they do to to on-field coaches you know just because we're making out a lineup for the most part on-field coaches anyways and so i would love to hear what do what comes up or what do players wish that on-field coaches did more of or just what do they Mm -hmm. wish that they that they knew or you know what i mean like like what, what is something that you know that they that 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 to, you know, athletes wish that coaches would understand just in, in the realm of that. Uh, wh- is there anything that comes to mind?
1: Man, that's a great, great question. I really <laughs> appreciate your questions by the way. Oh um, yeah,
0: of course it,
1: it's, yeah. it's, you know, one of those things
0: that I, I, yeah. I really am curious cause you are in yeah. this every single day and I'm like, man, I, I want to continue to grow. So sorry for, for hitting you with them over the face if I am.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. It's good. Um, you know, I think, Gosh, one thing my dad told me a long time ago was, um, the further away you get from the game, the easier it becomes. Um, meaning like the longer you coach and the longer you, um, you know, get away from playing, the simpler you think it is to play. Right. And, and so I think, um, some coaches, we forget how hard it is. Right. And, uh, some of the things that I hear, like, you know, is like, do, do they not know that I'm trying? Do they not know that I'm giving my best? Right. And, sure. and again, it, it's a results based industry, especially at, at the highest levels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't get paid to try, right. You get paid to do type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, but I think what the, the athlete is really asking for there is more empathy during their struggles. Right, yeah, that's, um, good, yeah. that's what I think. What they're really asking for there, and so I think, um, just being more empathetic in the way that um, coaches communicate to athletes when when the game gets hard, right? Because the game's mm-hmm. hard for everyone, it shows up at different times. And um, you know, sometimes there's things off the field that are that people are going through. You know, that I've heard a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, that they don't want to tell the the organization or coaches because sure. of, of risk of, of you know stuff happening. So. Right. Um, but they just didn't feel like the coach just, not that they would ever tell the coach, but they just didn't feel like that they were respecting the fact that they're holistic people, right. With, with things going on outside of the, the park, I could sometimes impact performance on there. Um, and, and so I, I, think that would be probably at the top of the list if I had sure. to say anything. Not really good.
0: Well, let me hit you with some quick hitters real quick. Uh, get getting to know your learning a little bit. Uh, so what is something that you're learning
1: uh, it, or that you've learned lately that you are really excited about. Ooh, uh, this is supposed to be quick. So I, I think the thing that this is going to sound really silly, but um, I'm consulting right w- with an executive team uh, in cybersecurity, and so it is really fun for me to see how performance psychology principles show up in tech. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's sales, whether it's marketing, whether it's a, um, you know, someone like an analyst that works in the cybersecurity field, wh- whatever it may be. Um, it's fun for me to see how the same performance psychology principles that help you perform at your best, when your best is required on the field, it shows up, uh, in, in board rooms, it shows up out in the, you know, in, in sales mm-hmm. field as well. So I'm learning that language essentially right now, which is a lot of fun.
0: Oh, that is cool. Second question is what is something that you have that you used to teach or used to think that you've changed your mind about?
1: Yeah. So that saying, um, how you do anything is how you do everything. I used to believe that. And it's it's cool, it's sticky, but I've decided now it's not true. And let me tell you sure. why. because mm-hmm. I, um, I love to swim, right? I, I love to swim. It's meditative for me. No one can call me, no one can bother me. I just like to think, I can be present. But the thing is, Gellner, I suck at swimming. Like I like, I swim, like I look like I'm swimming uphill, like That's I have like I have a hard time breathing, right? It's like it's hard for me. Um, but here's the, I don't want to get better at it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not in it to get better at it. I'm in it to be present and just to, to, to be there. Right. And so in most areas of my life, like I'm always trying to look like, Hey, how can I get a little better? How can I get a little better? How can I get a little better? But if you come watch me swim, like you can watch me swim today, you watch me swim a year from now, I will suck a year from now. I promise you. Right. And so if you just see me, you'll be like, Hey man, this guy's not, he doesn't care about getting better. Right. So anyway, so that's something I've changed my mind on. I used to say that how you do doing things, how you do everything, but I've definitely changed my mind on that.
0: No, that's good. I agree with you. And then last thing is what is one book that has changed your life? Or, you know, if some coaches are, are listening, they're like, man, I really want to learn more about you know, what, what Darren's talking about it, whether it's psychology or just anything that that we mentioned today, what are some, if you could narrow it down to one or two or 10, that would be good, but (laughs) anything and everything,
1: what do you got? Oh man. You know, one, I think that's a, that's a pretty easy read that people get right away is the obstacle is the way by Ryan holiday. Um, really easy to read great stories. It, it, doesn't say neutral thinking, but there's a lot of neutral thinking principles in there about controlling what you can control. The chapters are like three to five pages. So you feel like you're crushing it. You know what I mean? Like, I hate the books that have long chapters. because You feel like I'm never done, but holidays brilliant because I'm like, I can read two two chapters in 10 minutes and I feel like I'm on top of the world. Um, so I think like if I had to pick one, I would pick that one and I'll stop there because once I get into two, I'm going to end up at 15. So the obstacle is the way is the one that I, I tend to give to a lot of guys early on. Oh, that's so good.
0: Uh, stoicism, very neutral yeah. thinking. I think so. Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the last thing before you go, Darren, I just wanted to say thank you and look forward yeah. to hopefully having more conversations with you. I know you helped me to get better today. So I, I do appreciate that. And I will put your uh, contact information down in the show notes, but I did want to mute myself and let you you know, talk to our guests for the last time. And so is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go?
1: Oh, wow. Um, you know, I think the the biggest thing that I would just share with people is, you know, more important than being good is getting better. Right. I think so, so many times we get focused on trying to be better than the person to my right or to my left or, or whatever. And that, that, that doesn't help anybody. Right. Cause um, there's no winning comparison, right. Cause I can always find someone that's better or worse than me. That's to my right, to my left, but that doesn't help me. And so, uh, and that's ego talking, right? But I really believe like some of the best that I've been around have this get better focus, which is like just this maniacal focus where each and every day, you know, they, they have a plan, they attack it. At the end of the day, they pretty much look at it and go, did I do it or not? How did I get better? They make a plan for the next day and then they go to sleep and do it again. You know, like um, success really comes down to as simple as we can make it, two things, direction and effort, Right do the right things and doing the best you can and do them every day, right? So I would just encourage anyone, like if you're looking for a mindset that's gonna set you up for success in whatever you choose to do and whatever field you choose to go in, whether it's your relationships, parent, husband, wife, it doesn't matter, like a get better mindset where you can just focus on how can I get a little better every day? Just, you know, I think that right there um, is the art of living a, a happy, healthy, productive life
0: thank you for listening to ahead of the curve if you enjoyed the show please consider leaving us a rating or review wherever you are listening i also wanted to remind you that you can find the video portion at the aotc channel on stick have a great week